but the game was different, right? The the, the rules was different. The ball oh, was the Euro, different. The like, Euro, the Euro style is different in America. The Euro style was a lot different <laughs> than America. <laughs> That's the Especially, first time y'all seen that Euro step too, huh? Absolutely. All right, so uh, today I have the uh, honor and the pleasure to have uh, Coach Maria Marcusano, um, who is the head coach of uh, Mount St. Mary's. Um, coach, can you give us a little bit about you? Yeah, for sure. So I kind of have a different story about how I got into coaching. You know, growing up, I, I never wanted to be a coach. And the main reason was I didn't want to have to decide playing time. Um, I saw, you know, how stressful that could be. I saw that, you know, once I got to college that every kid was expecting to be the superstar they were in high school and how difficult um, that was making that adjustment. And that was something that I just didn't want to have to decide as competitive as I was. Uh, but after college, I had the opportunity to go overseas and play in Italy uh, for almost five years. And while I was there, they had asked a lot of us, uh, people that could speak both languages, um, the foreigners, and, and especially me, because I could speak the language to, to help coach some of the younger teams, uh, the 15 under, 13 under, even 12, 11 under. And I, I kind of started liking it then. Um, I saw that the satisfaction in helping kids grow. And then in between seasons, um, I was, you know, just waiting to go back overseas. I got a job at a small division three university right outside of Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I'm from, Manchester College at the time. It's now Manchester University. Um, and I helped with softball and basketball there, um, as well as did a, a number of other things. And I really fell in love with just being on a college campus, um, being around, you know, 18 to 22 year old kids. Um, I saw that there was so much more to coaching than just deciding playing time. And I, <laughs> I, I kind of fell in love with it at that point. And um, from there, I was given an opportunity um, right away to become a head coach at the D2 level, kind of in a crazy situation. Um, the coach was fired mid-season um, and they brought me on right after Christmas to start um, coaching the team at, at the Division II level, no less, which is a pretty um, you know, good level of basketball here in the States. And so um, from there, I, I, I knew at that point that coaching was what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. And I wanted to continue to move, move up that ladder and uh, jumped from Urbana to Walsh University, another Division II in Ohio. Um, from there, I wanted to get back to Division One, and that's what I had played. I played at Butler, um, and I wanted to get back to that high level. And, and really, the only void on my resume was was coaching at the Division One level. I had played it, uh, but I hadn't coached it. So I took a an associate head coach job at IUPUI, um, which is in oh, Indiana. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and had a great year there, and I was only year there one year before I came out here to be the head coach at the Mount. Um, so I've had a little bit of a different path, um, but you know, very blessed along the way. I've learned from a lot of great coaches, whether it be um, who I played for, who I played for overseas, or who I've coached with. And um, you know, I just wanted to keep growing. Okay, uh, marvelous. Uh, as you said, you was in Butler. I'm assuming you was there with Brad when Brad Stevens was there. So he was. He was actually. Director of Basketball Operations at the time. So that's how long ago I was there. So he was kind of bottom of the totem pole at that time. Obviously, we all know he worked his way up. But yeah, he was definitely there. Awesome, awesome person. So nice. Um, just really down to earth. Nice. Okay, nice. And uh, is that where you met uh, Coach uh, Betko, Julian Betko? Yep, he was at, uh, I think he transferred in maybe my sophomore or junior year. And that's when he came in. I think he came in from Clemson, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. Yep. Okay. 
good guy despite all the rumors. <laughs> no, yeah, a, he, had, he had his fair share of injuries along the way, but yeah, he's an awesome, awesome dude. Yeah, that's my guy, man, my brother. Um, right, so getting straight into it. Um, I know we spoke briefly and, and you know, you said you've only got, you know, two international kids uh, or two international players, should I say. Um, what's the biggest difference um, you have having those international kids compared to the domestic players in your program? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, we've recruited a number of international kids and, and these two happen to be the first two I've had in my program. Um, one thing I've noticed from them is um, they love training. They, they love training. They love doing, you know, all aspects of getting better at, at the game. Um, I think, you know, international kids have, have a reputation of being um, offensive minded. And I, I do see some of that, definitely. Um, they, they definitely are more skilled, not necessarily than individuals in our program, but just as a whole, they're more skilled on the, fun to, the fundamentals of the game. I think, as you've probably seen here in the U.S., uh, there's so much emphasis on the glamour and the flash uh, of the game that, you know, yeah. there's a lot of uh, fundamentals lost in the process. You know, AAU, these kids are playing a million, million games a summer, uh, but not necessarily developing their game. And I think that's one thing that the international kids, they don't lose out on that. They really focus on that. They focus on the training. They enjoy the process um, and they love the grind. They love all of it. Mm, very, very, very true. Um, and, and, you know, getting to see both worlds now um, more and more, um, there is a big emphasis on uh, physical attributes um, here in the States. Uh, the higher premium, you know, the tallest kid in the gym, the biggest, strongest, blah, blah, blah. Uh, whereas Europe, you know, not saying that we don't have those uh, athletes, but everyone's pretty much the same. There's no like, real big standout so everyone's got to be like your skills of your footwork your shooting your iq has got to be a lot higher than everyone else to kind of maneuver and play the game so um yeah definitely something that i've noticed as well um i guess in that same vein is there a reason if you had a, a domestic kid and you had an international kid of the same sort of caliber um you know, why would you choose or would you choose the international over the, the domestic? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough question. Um, I think for us, um, you know, the recruiting process is very different um, for every kid, no matter whether they're international or domestic. But for us, we're looking for a very specific type of player in terms of, you know, one that fits our system, which which all coaches are. Um, but but at that point, it's then becoming comfortable with, with the person. And um, with international kids, you have to worry, you know, are they mature enough to live away from their families? Are they going yeah. to get are they going to get homesick? Um, do they come from a country where the, the culture is really going to be a shock once they get here um, and vice versa? You know, like I said, you being in the States, you know, um, when it's a domestic kid, you have the influence of the parents, you have the influence of the AAU coaches, the high school coaches, and sometimes that's a huge downfall. Um, you know, we bring kids here and we're doing the best we can to develop them and um, make them into the best basketball players, students, and people that they could possibly be. All the while, when they're a domestic kid, they're probably hearing a hundred different opinions, you know, a day. Um, yeah what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing. And so sometimes there's a benefit to that international kid where you kind of have a more isolated relationship with them. 
um, and you can build that trust and, and they're not being influenced by as many people on a daily basis. So there's pros and cons to both sides of it. Um, like I said, we've recruited a number of other international kids that, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to get. Um, so I don't have a ton of experience of, you know, having coached those kids once they get here. Uh, but so far, the two that we've had, and, and unfortunately, they didn't make it back this year because of the pandemic. Um, but the, the two that we've had, it's it's been awesome, you know, getting to know them and seeing kind of the joy that they have with the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that. Um, speaking about, you know, you said you've you've tried to to get a lot of those uh, a few international players. Um, what's the uh, the process of recruiting a international player from start to finish? Yeah, like I said, it's it's very different for each kid. Um, you know, probably five years ago, I would have said a nice email would catch my attention, but you know, this day, <laughs> hundred emails a day, uh, so it's tough. You know, anymore, uh, you know, an email can maybe start the conversation, but it's it's going to help if you have somebody in the states that can connect on a one-on-one level with with coaches. I know. Um, you know, eventually with the two that we had, we had somebody that reached out that knew one of our staff members and there's kind of that element of trust that they might know what they're talking about. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different process. You know, I'm at a small private division one and, and we don't have a huge recruiting budget. So to fly those kids over is not always a possibility. Um, the, the two that we have now, thankfully, they were able to come over on their own. Um, so it just depends, you know, and, and, and with the pandemic, everyone's virtual, you know, even domestic kids aren't, aren't allowed to have visits right now. Um, but even, like I said, even with, uh, you know, I, our, our universities in Maryland, every kid we recruit in Maryland, that process can, can look very different based on at what point in their recruiting process we, we start recruiting them, if they're young, if they're old, if they uh, are transferring. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very different process for, for each kid. Um, and with the international kids, it's it's an even more difficult process to kind of earn that trust of, of the potential coach. Okay, so let's say I've got a uh, I've got a player in England. Um, she is seventeen, um, just about to you know graduate um, her college, I guess equivalent, high school equivalent. Um, I think she's good enough to play D1. I send you an email. I send you some video. What happens then? What what happens next? For for my staff personally, if you send it to me, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is send it to my recruiting coordinator. And she's probably going to let let me know right off the bat, is this a position we need in this class? Um, if I have time on that particular day, I'll watch the video before sending it on to see if it's worth her time. Um, but then once I send it on and she might say, hey, coach, remember, we've already offered two kids at that position in that class or whatever it may be. And then if there's a mutual interest between myself from clicking on that link or, or maybe my recruiting coordinator saying, yeah, we need that position, then we're going to send it to, to the rest of our staff, have them watch some of that film. And then it also depends on what's in that email. Um, is it just a highlight film? If so, uh, we're going to have to get game film. Um, you know, academic qualifications. We're going to have to start doing our research on that. Um, what kind of experience with basketball do they have? Is the one, one of the things that we struggle with with film from international kids is how is the competition they're playing against? It's a very, yes. Uh, yes. Very difficult to kind of decipher via just film. Um, so that, that is one thing that always makes us nervous. You know, once we get that highlight film, it catches our eye and we get that game film and, and maybe we still love her, but we're like, how good are those girls she's playing against? 
Um, so it's it's a especially with an international kid, it's an in-depth process of, of kind of watching a lot of film, seeing if we have any contacts um, to this kid, seeing if we have any connections or other ways that we can kind of verify the talent and, and the size. You know, everyone loves to, you know, give a few, fit, give a fit, few fit, more inches. Six, six foot kid, then then they get here and you're, you're taller than them and I'm five, five, nine, five, ten. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's a unique process. It's definitely um, not not bulletproof, you know. It, recruiting in general is a crapshoot. You honestly don't mm. know what you're gonna get. I think every single year that I've been a coach and had multiple kids in one class, you know, I've always said, okay, we think this kid is gonna excel, and it's always somebody else in that class that ends up excelling, you know. And it's not necessarily based on skill. It's a lot of times the most skilled kids. It has nothing to do with that as a freshman. The ones that play and have an impact as a freshman are the ones that adjust to the pace and physicality of the game right away. So, um, you know, and that's another thing with with um, with international kids. I found it's it's one or the other. They're either very physical and very used to that play, or they're not used to it at all. So, um, I know I was in for a rude awakening. You know, when I went over there, I played Division One college basketball, and I had always heard that you know, European basketball was all offense, all finesse. And my, my first practice there and my first, you know, A1 league games in Italy, man, those are physical games. You got beat up. Very, very, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like the kind of fouls that, you know, we get over here, especially with the new hand check rules. That, that stuff is, you know, it's crazy over there. So that's, that's something that, you know, you just never know how those kids are going to adjust, whether they're skilled or not. So recruiting is something that you got to say a lot of prayers about and hope that the kids that you take a risk on end up working out for you. Fair enough. I like it. Um, and we've already mentioned, or you've already mentioned it, so we don't have to stay here long, but how valuable is highlight tape? You know, how much um, credence does it, does it have on you, um, you know, really going after a player? Well, I think it's important because, like I mentioned, with all the emails that we get and all the coaches that call us, we can't sit down and watch every single game film that comes through. But if you send us that highlight film and we see that you have right off the bat some skills that make sense in our systems, then we can move on to the to the game film. We're not going to just offer a kid off based off a highlight film, no way, because anyone can can look good on a highlight film. But I do think there's value in and and grabbing a coach's attention or or just giving a coach a preview of what you bring to the table. So I do think there's a lot of value in them. Um, it just can't be the only piece, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. I got you. Um, what would be the best way for and again I guess you kind of touched on this as well but what would be the best way for an overseas player to get your attention or to get a college coach's attention in general yeah I mean obviously the email is, is the easiest way to kind of get in contact with them but like I said a lot of those get lost in the shuffle a lot of them go to my junk or spam folders because we get so many of them I think the best way if you're really truly um, you know, intent on a specific school or a specific program is to try and get somebody to reach out to that to that coach or that program on your behalf because a one-on-one -on -one conversation is going to hold that coach accountable. It's going to um, hold that staff, you know, accountable to, to take a look at your film and give you a response whether they're interested or not. And I know that's not always the easiest thing, um, but I do think at this day and age with so many emails that we get, I mean, they're hitting us up in our Twitter DMs, our Instagram DMs, they're sending film, you know, they're emailing us. 
it's it's overload. It's on overload all the time. So I think if you can get that one-on-one -on -one personal attention of a coach via a phone call, it's it's going to go a long way. I've got a, there's a, 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 a question that I've got for you at the end, and it's going to be very interesting to hear how you, you know, but we'll circle back. We'll circle back. We don't want to get to it. I don't want to jump ahead. Um, okay. So what should a freshman um, just entering a, a college, what should they expect? You know, I think your, your first semester of your freshman year is very overwhelming. It's more about, um, you know, time management than anything. Um, you know, your first semester when you get here, you're not in your in season right away, your eight hour preseason. And so the, the overall time consumption is less, but for us specifically in the preseason, you're gonna have a lot more smaller appointments for lack of a better word. So you might have, you know, a 6 a.m. track workout, and then you might personally have eight, nine and 10 a.m. class. And then maybe you got to get treatment and then you have your encore 30 minute individual workout that afternoon. And that's going to be very different than somebody else on your team. Their, their individual workout might be on Tuesday afternoon along with weights and, and whatnot. So I think your first uh, semester as a freshman is very overwhelming. Once we get into season, it's, it's a lot more time consuming, but it's a lot more, you know, you're on the same schedule as your teammates. You're practicing two to three hours every afternoon. You kind of have, you get into that routine of that schedule. Um, but I, I would just, you know, expect to be, uh, to roll with the punches because as a freshman, you're gonna hit some adversity. It's gonna be tough. You might get homesick. The schooling, the academic aspect might be tough. Um, you're trying to connect with your new teammates. You're trying to connect with your new coaches, your new surroundings. It can be tough as a freshman, but just um, have an open mind, roll with the punches, um, try and get better every single day and, and don't stress too much um, if you have a bad day, because you're gonna have those, you know, whether it's, you know, you weren't really ready for conditioning as you thought you trained really hard all summer, but you hit that track and you're struggling. You're one of the last ones every single time. Don't let it bring you down. Just realize that this is your freshman year. You didn't know any better and just keep working your hardest every single day. Mm, I like that. I like that, especially, um, you know, I'm sure domestic, international, whatever, um, you know, kids go in with a, uh, sort of ideology of where they think they are not understanding the level they're going to so you know if they at high school or you know college the equivalent um and they've just had you know they finished up their season it was good they know they're going to to, to college now they get into the weight room a little bit not lifting like a collegiate athlete right. they run around the track a couple times and then they get there and they're like oh okay i'm at the back oh okay like yeah it, it's trying to you know i see a lot of uh athletes who are like man am i cut out for this you know i just sent uh, one of the kids uh one of my players here just left the high school and we transferred him to a, a junior college and he was you know dominant down here with the guys that we had and you know, it was pretty good and, and went at his own pace. And now he's in junior college and he's like, coach, this is tough, man. It's it's hard. So, um, yeah, the, adjust, the adjustment period is, is, is you know, can be pretty rough. Um, what's your views on junior college versus prep schools versus academies? Um, where would you prefer to um, recruit the players from? 
yeah, to be honest, I don't have a lot of experience with recruiting from from any of those. Um, since I've been out in Maryland, there's a ton of prep, prep schools and academies out here. So I've gotten a little bit more experience of recruiting kids from there. Uh, JUCOs, we have considered and offered a few. It's the same thing where, you know, we might not have gotten those kids. Um, but I, I don't have biases towards towards any of them. I do think the, the landscape of recruiting is getting ready to change with the NCAA. Um, eventually passing the, the, the waiver where you don't have to sit out. And I think, um, you know, it, as those JUCO, as JUCO prep kids, academy kids, I think you have to be a lot more willing to accept what offers are on the table versus being picky. Because from now on, coaches are going to be looking at those kids that already have D1 experience in that transfer portal. And there's going to be close to a thousand or more kids in there every single year, which is insane. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do think there's value in all those, you know, with JUCO, you got to understand why were they at JUCO? Were they not developed yet? Was it an academic reason? Um, obviously it's still a higher level than high school. So grabbing that kid from JUCO, they're going to be a little bit more prepared for the pace and physicality uh, than a, than just a normal high school kid. And the same with the prep, it, you know, it's a little step up from high school and, and the academies where it's a little bit more college focused. So I definitely think there's value in all those. I don't have, like I said, a ton of experience um, recruiting from those those uh, venues specifically, but um, I do think they have a lot of value. Is there any one one of those institutions that you prefer over the other or are they pretty much the same so if i'm a you know a college uh, a high school kid and uh you know i'm 18 and i'm like oh i'm not quite ready to go to college yet or you know i've been offered a i don't know a lower level school than i think you know everyone thinks they should be at yukon women's team you know <laughs> so they're like ah, you can't yukon hasn't offered me yet I'm gonna to go to a junior college to get better or a prep school. Like, what would you decide one of the over the other if you could? I mean, I think every single case is just based on that specific individual. Um, you know, with prep, obviously, you don't really you don't lose college eligibility. With JUCO, you're you're losing years of of college. You know, you're not losing it. You're getting that experience. But if you yes. go to prep, you have four years of college basketball left. Versus if you go JUCO, you're losing a year. Um, not losing it, but it's not going to be at that level that you're hoping to get to. Um, so I think every kid is it's just an individual case. I mean, I think if it's a kid where they just had their bodies haven't developed or maybe they're not comfortable with the growth and maybe they're just not as coordinated as they will be once they get comfortable, I think prep is a great option. Um, if it's an academic case, um, you know, I think prep or JUCO is a, is a good option. Um, if it's a basketball specific case where you're trying to prove your worth. You feel like you've already developed. Um, you know, you feel like you're basically a baller and you're not getting the love that you deserve. Then I think JUCO is a really good route because you know a lot of those bigger schools are gonna gonna look at those games and, and see who's putting up stats and, and carrying their JUCO teams. And um, you know, obviously, you, you see JUCO kids on Power Five rosters all the time. So there's, there's obviously um, a need for that, and, 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 and coaches definitely take advantage of it. Nice, nice. I like that. I like that answer. Um, I know in Europe in general, and I always do mention this, but um, a lot of parents and uh, players turn their nose up at JUCO. Um, you know, they don't think it's... Uh, they look at themselves as a disappointment because they're going to junior or having to go through the JUCO route, which you know, I think there's there is a function of it, and I do think, as you said, there there are success stories out of junior college. 
Um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, how hard or how easy is it for, uh, you know, for your two international um, players to integrate into the system? How, was it very difficult for them to, you know, Australia is literally the other side of the world. So um, how was it to, to integrate them into the, the, to the college fabric? From the academic standpoint, those kids are both very, very smart. They um, integrated very easily. Um, they both get really, really good high marks in their classes, and um, they're both easy to get along with. They're great kids. From a basketball standpoint, um, it took them a while to kind of adjust to the game. Um, if you talk to them, they'll tell you the game is very different um, from here to there. Um, you know, I feel like we run a, an offense where our kids are given a lot of freedom um, in comparison to a lot of other colleges here and who we play against, but they felt like it was still a lot less freedom than they had, <laughs> excuse me, in Australia. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we run a lot of dribble drive stuff. We run a lot of Princeton reads and it's, it's, there's freedom within that. You can play basketball and, and, and our kids love it because they've come from programs where they had 17 just plays, you know, they had plays, they didn't have offenses. And so I feel like we have a very free, free offense. <laughs> That's what even they felt like it's a lot it's more freer in Australia. And, and they feel like the game in general, we play fast here at the Mount, but they feel like the game in general is, is very much more fast in Australia. So they definitely have had their, um, you know, their struggles with adjusting to and, and defensively as well. We do a lot of different things here, and that was an adjustment, um, you know, to obviously, you know, in the States, when you come here, you can't play, you can't defend, especially at the college level. So um, they've had their bumps, but, you know, if they were here this year, I know they would have been, um, had made strides from last year and grown and probably be con contributing at this point. Yeah, 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 it is, it is different. Um, and it's funny that you said that in our on our first season, um, a lot of the players speak about, um, how regimented um, the, the the style of play is, especially offensively, um, and they don't have the level of freedom. So, you know, it made me smile when you say that. Um, specifically, we had a um, female player who plays for uh, GB, and she's on the national team now. And she said when she went to um, the University of Pennsylvania, you know it, she found it hard to adjust she was you know back home in england she's a combo guard and you know at pennsylvania it was like no you're a two you don't dribble the ball you know give the ball up kind of you run down this lane every time so um yeah it does does uh is a bit challenging sometimes for the international crew to come over and play that regimented style um but i like that um what is typically whoa sorry what is typically covered in a full scholarship at d1 level um and do you do half scholarships and is it different to d2 um can you tell us about that and typically at the division one level it's going to cover everything from room board fees books um you know the only thing that, you know, for example, here, the only thing you would have to pay for is your parking pass and your housing deposit. So if you are lucky enough to have a car, $50 parking pass or whatever it is, and then the housing deposit is just uh, to make sure that you don't damage your apartment or your room. And if, if you don't, you get that money back. So generally speaking, a division one scholarship is going to cover literally everything you need. Um, and, and depending on what what level of college you're at, you're, you might even get money in your pocket. They call it cost of tuition. Um, 
where they can they're able to give you money back based on uh, whatever the cost is at their school and, and and usually it even gives you extra extra spending money so at the division one level nice. everything is always going to be taken care of uh division two II, division three obviously division three you can't have um athletic scholarships division two they can split it up they can do a full ride um they can cover books they can cover maybe just you know your tuition there's a lot of things you can do at the division two level um and i suppose you could probably do that at division one level as well but we're a headcount sport so um if you give one kid one dollar that counts as a full scholarship so you might as well give it all to them that's how it works at the division one so um yeah there's definitely benefits you know in terms of financial um when it comes to division one versus division two three uh, i'm not very familiar with how it works at naia but i know that they are able to give some pretty good packages yeah yeah um nice and when you get when you offer a scholarship is that a you know for the duration is it a four-year contract so to speak or is it like renewable every year or do you have to renew it every year yeah, so it's renewable every year. Um, you know, in my case, I'm not going to take the scholarship away um, just for nothing. Um, it's usually gonna only be taken away if there's, you know, conduct conduct detrimental to, to the program. Um, you know, if you have an injury, you're always gonna be taken care of, um, you know, in terms of insurance and your scholarship. You're not gonna have medical bills uh, that whatever your insurance doesn't cover, the school covers, you know, the rest nice. of it. Yes. Uh, and then if you had a like a career ending injury, um, they're going to exempt your scholarship and the rest of your schooling would be paid for in most situations as well. So um, definitely yeah. going to be taken. Okay, I like that. And um, you said you wouldn't take it away unless it's detrimental. So, you know, you have a player that is like a negative 20 in your plus minus rating. Um, you know, they average a solid four turnovers a game anytime you put them in um would you take away a scholarship from that player great kids yeah great academic. generally speaking no i'm not gonna take a take a scholarship away from a kid just because they turned out to be not good enough at basketball um, but i will have a conversation with them and in, in, in that case they usually decide to transfer and um it's those are tough conversations to have but it goes back to that playing time conversation that I had about, you know, when I didn't want to be a coach. I want kids to have a good experience. And if there's truly no opportunity moving forward for that kid to earn playing time because they're probably just not going to get there in terms of their skill and their pace and all that stuff, then I will have that tough conversation. But 95% of the time, we're still not going to take it away if they want to remain in the program. As long as they're a good kid, a good teammate, they're taking care of business in the classroom. Um, you know, we have 15 scholarships, so it's not like, and I only usually play eight or nine kids a game, if that. So there's always going to be kids on the end of the bench who aren't going to get a ton of playing time. And if they're good culture kids and they're contributed to the to the team in other ways, then they're going to keep their scholarship. Nice. I like that. That's, I like that. It's good. Um, I think sometimes, um, excuse me, I think players are concerned that under like that goes towards the performance anxiety right so you know you have a couple of bad games and now instantly you take a shot you're looking over at coach to see if you know coach is going to take you out or you know turn over and you're looking you're kind of getting ready to walk over to the bed and like it kind of makes it worse that you know your schoolwork goes bad and grades and you know other personal relationships so 
being secure in a program, knowing that you're wanted and, you know, the coach is about your overall success, not just on the court, um, I think uh, pays dividends. And there's a very important factor when um, players are choosing programs. Yeah, I mean, it, our business is all about relationships. So uh, making sure that everyone knows they're part of the program, that their role is important, whether they play minutes or not. Um, obviously, you're always going to have that performance anxiety because, like I said, everyone wants to uh, earn minutes and, and play, you know, 35 minutes a game. That's what <laughs> that's what everyone wants. So uh, it's kind of hard to get around that completely. But um, you know, scholarship, whether their scholarship depends on every single shot, our kids in our program probably aren't ever going to feel that pressure. Nice. Okay. Um, we, you all, you spoke about playing time and stuff like that. So I don't think we need to cover it, but you know, just to double down on it, I guess, um, yourself in particular, you know, you play the kids that are, uh, in a position to succeed rather than just play like you know you you kind of hand it out as on a earned merit basis um and and making sure that they're comfortable out on the floor as well as productive out on the floor as well for the program and yeah for for us if we had we don't have any walk-ons this year but if we did it, it doesn't even matter about scholarship or what you did the year before it's really just about who's producing at the time and who who's you know, generating results. It's it's kind of like, you know, in school you have those kids who, who study all the time, all the time, all the time, and then they barely get that that B plus or even that that B or B minus. And then there's those kids that, you know, it doesn't really matter. They don't study. They still get a good grade. They get that A or that A plus. And it's kind of the same with basketball. You know, you want kids to be hard workers and you want them to, um, you know, work at their craft extremely hard and and. and be passionate about it but at the end of the day there's some kids who maybe don't practice as hard or play as much but they produce and at the end of the day as coaches um you know our main job is it's is to have wins you know to get to get wins so um it's about results and so obviously we would love to play the the five hardest workers in our kid in our program you know 35 minutes a game but it, it comes down to who's producing out there um, so for us, it doesn't matter if you're the 15th man or the first man, or if you're a senior, or if you're a freshman, if you're getting it done on the floor, then you're probably going to get opportunities to play. Um, and, and, you know, that's just kind of how we've always coached. Okay. I like it. Um, so coach switching gears a little bit. Um, what does a typical college day consist of for you guys? It depends on the time of year that it is. Like I mentioned before, um, when they first get to college, that preseason, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we do uh, track workouts, um, starting to get that build up, that conditioning and that endurance. And then they'll probably have two or three morning classes, um, maybe lunch. And then in the afternoon, they might have their individual workout with, with two coaches, with maybe one or two players that are of similar skills where they're put, getting put through a you know, workout that just works on fundamentals. Um, and then at that, that night, they might have open gym where they can just play pickup. Um, or they might have, who knows, a tutoring session. They might have to get their study table hours in. Um, and then on Tuesday, um, you know, they might have nothing for basketball or they might only have their weights or, um, you know, they might only have study tables. So in the preseason, it's a, it's a very different for each individual kid. Um, but once we get into season, the days are, the weeks are very similar. They're going to lift twice a week as a team in the morning. 
and then we practice and do film pretty much every afternoon from about three to six ish. I'm not big on on spending more than two hours on the court, but between you know warm ups and then watching film and and you know stretching and doing all that stuff, our actual practice time is usually right around hour and forty minutes, hour and forty five, maybe a little longer in the beginning of the season and a lot shorter towards the end of the season. Um, and then that night they're going to grab dinner and then they're going to study or get their study tables done. So, um, you know, like I said, we, we have an app um, on our phone that we get, we pay a lot for for these kids that helps them um, remind them of all their appointments. And it's very specific to them. It's going to remind them if they have class, if they have training table, if they have study hall, if they have a tutor session, if they have their, you know, extra shooting with the coach. Um, and, and it helps them. Um, but like I said, after that first semester of freshman year, I think you really start to get um, time management down and it starts to flow and you get into your own routine. Um, and I, our kids actually prefer when they're in classes. Like we just finished a very long winter break because of the pandemic. We ended classes earlier, we started late. We were off for almost two and a half months and our kids get bored, you know, they're just laying around mm. the door. There's only so much extra shooting you can do, extra lifting, extra conditioning, extra film. And so when they have that routine of classes, I think we have a much more productive practices. We're better in games. Um, we're more locked in. It's it's weird that it works that way, but our kids just do better when they're in classes. Yeah, and I guess it kind of, um, especially at this age um, in their lives, you know, it's you want a little bit of variety, right? You don't want to just be doing the same mundane thing day in and day out, no matter how much you love it, but just, oh man, I'm going to go and stimulate my mind. Now I'm going to go stimulate my body. Now I'm going to go, you know, um, get get my uh, behind chewed out by coach. You know what I mean? Like there's different processes in the day that, you know, they kind of yearn for. Um, what type of playing uh, statuses are there? Um, in terms of red and gray and medical uh, red shirt? So the only ones, I mean, I'm familiar with, you mentioned it in your email, I, is red shirt. I've never heard of a, I mean, I've heard of it, but I don't really know what the gray shirt term means. But for us, um, you know, the red shirt is, is gonna be, if it's, if it's an injury or um, an academic issue or the last, and it's more used on the men's side than the women's side, although it is used on the women's side as well, but just for an either an under underdeveloped kid or maybe a kid that is coming in and 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 is good but the person ahead of them is like really good and they're just not going to get very many minutes and so maybe you decide to redshirt them develop them even more than that kid graduates and and they're even more ready to step on the court um so the red shirts are are used for a number of reasons um i do feel like they're used a lot more on the men's side than the women's side but um, it's definitely something to be familiar with. I, I know I've had a lot of conversations here recently with kids because of the pandemic and how they have granted this to be a free year. Roster sizes are going to be very large next oh, year. Yeah. I think there's going to be some freshmen that consider redshirting just because they don't want to spend their freshman year on the bench just because a senior is now playing their sixth or seventh year in college, you know, so. Um, <laughs> And we're going to have that. You know, we have a kid that was already granted a sixth year because of injuries. She'll just be playing her fifth year next year, and she will still have two more years left because of the pandemic. Uh, we have a six-year kid, uh, two fifth-year kids right now that would be playing their six, six years of, of college basketball next year. So um, there's definitely reason to, to talk about it in, in the next couple of years with these roster sizes. So I'm confused. What are they studying in year seven, are they like, is that PhD now or is that, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, for whether it's a, a second master's or starting on their doctorate, I don't even know if you can do that and play. But um, yeah, no, we, we, ha we have probably you know, two kids right now working on their master's. And next year, we would have a lot of kids working on their master's degree, which which is awesome for them. Wow, that's oof. Um, that's interesting. Okay. Um, speaking of which, how important are academics um, to the success of a student athlete? Um, and is there more importance on uh, international kids, would you say, or international player to have better academics? Well, obviously academics are extremely important. Um, that's their first priority here. Um, in terms of, is there a higher importance for the international kid? I think there's maybe a slightly higher importance because you, you want to make sure that, um, you know, there's already going to be all those adjustments that the kid has to go through based on culture and moving and, and all that stuff. So you want them to be academically sound so that they don't have that worry once they get here. Uh, but I think that's a worry for, for any kid, not just to international kids. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of our first boxes that we have to check off, you know, are they are they going to be academically eligible? Are they going to struggle at this level with the academics? Um, and obviously, that's not going to completely deter us from recruiting them, but it's definitely information that we'd like to find out ahead of time. Okay, good. Um, again, if you, let's just say um, a player comes in, they're eligible, um, you know, decent grades and then, you know, everyone's away from home, um, party life, girls, guys, whatever. Um, and everyone's like lost their mind, so to speak, and their GPA goes down. Can a player still, um, can a, a student still play or, or practice, even though they're, you know, they're great, their GPA is now dropped below uh, standards? I think uh, it depends on the situation. Um, a lot of times, no, they cannot. It depends, like if they become academically ineligible, um, then they can't. But if they're still on scholarship, then generally speaking, they can still um, they can still practice. Um, but if a kid comes in comes into school and they're completely ineligible, they don't have their core classes, um, and then they're unable to even receive scholarship, then they're not allowed to play play or practice with the team. Um, I'm, I'm really bad with that stuff. I always have to double check with our, our compliance officer. Um, but yeah, it, it depends on the situation. It depends on the kid. It depends on, um, you know, how far they are along in their major. Um, is it is it a is it a just a bad semester or is there a, cum a cumulative GPA drop so low that now that they're in ineligible? So there's a lot of factors that go into that. Mm, okay, interesting, Coach. This has been amazing. I, you know, we got a few more, but really enjoying this talk with you. Um, right. So what are some of the basic life fundamentals, uh, that the, you know, these new students should be coming into college with? So obviously when you get to college, you're, you're, um, you're in large part on your own. Obviously when you play a sport such as basketball, you, you come in with an automatic support group. Um, but to some extent you want kids that have learned how to be independent, um, have learned, um, you know, it would worry me if, if we were bringing a kid in who's never done laundry, never done dishes, never had any chores around the house. Um, those kids find it really hard to adjust. Um, I think uh, being able to deal with adversity is a good trait to have. You're going to hit adversity in, in college. 
you know, being self-motivated um, is, is a huge one because again, you have so much free time in college. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to party? Are you going to nap? Or are you going to study extra, get extra shots up? And obviously we want our kids to be balanced. We want them to have fun as well. We want them to hang out and socialize, which has been difficult this year because with the pandemic, they really yeah. haven't been able to so That release has not been there for them. Um, we want them to be balanced, but um, a kid that's self-motivated to, to get things done, um, a kid that is, um, you know, able to stand up for themselves, whether it be on, you know, social injustice issues or um, just on the court to say, you know, I, I got this or, you know, you see that a lot in early pickup games. You see, can kids stand up for themselves? Can they fight? Can they battle? Can they stand up to their older teammates? Um, and it's always a, a huge tell to see, um, you know, what kind of kid they are. But uh, obviously, you know, we get kids from all over the spectrum, whether it be poor, rich, um, all, all different, you know, sexualities, all ethnicities. Um, and, and that's an awesome thing about it because our kids learn so much in four years of being around people that are just different than them. Um, so I just think having an open mind is another good trait because you're, you're going to be away from everything that you know um, when you come to college and you're going to go through different experiences and having an open mind and having a kind heart are, are two things that we definitely look for in kids. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, there, there has to be a, a, a huge level of independence um, and, and being able to be self-motivated for you to be success, successful, I think on any level. Um, so yeah, coming into to college is, is definitely big. Um, you mentioned the, you know, seeing some of those attributes, um, you know, standing up for themselves and, and stuff uh, in uh, open gym and pickup games. Do you watch many of those? Do you ever like just sit in the bleachers or the balcony or whatever and just watch them interact and play? Well, a lot of that stuff you see um, through watching them in AAU, especially with the-, the, the Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, with pickup, it, it depends on if it falls under our eight hours, if we use part of our eight hours, you know, to allow them to play, or if it's on their own time. If it's on their own time, we generally don't don't watch. But, um, you know, if we have eight hours and four of them can be on the court, and we might save 45 minutes for them to, to play as a part of their four-hour court time. And, yeah, we'll, we'll watch and kind of let them do their own things, make their own rules. Um, with pickup and see what kind of rules they they select because obviously there's there's a bunch of different things you can do with pickup um you know are they going to decide to play to five to seven to nine to 12 to 11 are they going to go by ones and twos do they do they have a free throw to end it um are they calling their own fouls that's a big one are they soft like are they going to say we're calling our own fouls because you know they're they want every call and you know, so there's a lot, lot of little things that you can pick up on, see how they interact with their teammates when the coaches aren't, aren't around. Um, you learn a lot about your team just just observing. That's interesting. Um, and just slightly on topic, off topic, uh, can you not watch them if it's outside of your eight hours? Can you not like watch the, the group? We're not supposed to. Yeah, because then, I mean, they could feel like if we're watching that that was a mandatory uh, pickup session or that was a mandatory or we're being evaluated or they're being they could feel like they're being evaluated or so yeah if it's outside of our eight hours or our 20 hours when we're in season then then uh, we're not supposed to, to watch oh, that's, that's interesting um coach what type of relationship do coaches have with parents generally so um let's say um Jane's mum um, wants to call you because um, 
she doesn't think Jane's eating or, you know, she was like wants to know if she's had her washing done. Like what kind of relationship do you normally have with parents? Yeah, I mean, obviously we build that, that relationship in the recruiting process. I think I probably deal with parents uh, a lot more than a lot of coaches do. Um, I'm always open for them to call me, especially when it's concerning the well-being of their child. Um, there are HIPAA laws that um, don't allow us to talk to their kid about academics and certain things, but if it's about their health or anything that's not related to playing time, <laughs> I'm going to talk to the parents. You know, I'm not going to talk to parents about playing time because um, I have <laughs> myself and four other staff members that helped me decide that, and this is something that we've studied our whole life, and I think you know, we're with them every single day. So I think we have a better grasp on that than they do. But, um, you know, when it comes to, yeah, like eating disorders or their mental health or even just their living situation or anything, I'm always willing to talk to parents, um, you know, and, and I'll listen to parents, honestly, with, with anything they have to say. I just, there's certain things I'm not going to discuss with them. Okay. So a parent can tell you they're unhappy with their child's playing time, but you're not going to discuss it with them. Well, usually what I'll do if, if, if that, and it hasn't happened very often, but I always invite them to come watch practice. I have a very open oh. and I think that, you know, when they come watch practice, it's a very eye-opening experience to see, this is probably why your kid isn't playing as much. Um, or, and, and sometimes it's a tough conversation and, and there are times when a kid is, is doing really well at practice and they're still not gonna play a lot just because there's somebody that's in their position that's just better or more experienced or, whatever it may be so um it's not just it's not always black and white and and i some people it's hard for them to see that but there's a lot of gray area with this stuff um but i always offer them to come watch practice and, and try and get the the view that, that we're getting on a daily basis and of course on that day the kid always goes super hard. <laughs> different look but um it, it hasn't happened very often I, you know i try and be very upfront with kids in the recruiting process that that's not something that we're going to discuss with parents <laughs> the day the parent comes in is the day they want to be a, a all-star <laughs> that makes you out to be a liar um and coach you know this from experience man we we get players that are great in the practice gym you know we get players that you know, there's no fans, there's no officials, um, you know, you're comfortable with your teammates. So, you know, even sometimes players being chippy a little bit, they're okay to go to their teammate or someone on the, you know, the, the first squad or whatever, versus someone else from a different school that they don't know and they're tentative at. So, you know, even players in practice sometimes that, you know, it's players that are really good in practice, doesn't necessarily translate to games because you know of those factors so um yeah i think parents who aren't around their child 24 7 to see the different changes in their behaviors psychologically mentally whatever yeah and vice versa um, we have kids that aren't very good at practice that just when the lights come on they're really good in games and that's a tough one to sell as well because a kid that's out playing them in practice every day and then they don't get as much playing time as this other kid and, and some kids just the lights go on they're a different player so it like i said there's a lot of gray gray area in, the, in these decisions and sometimes all it comes down to is just your gut and and that's a tough thing to explain to a parent but like you said we're around them 24 7. we see how they are in different environments we see how 
um, they react and, and sometimes it just comes down to what, what feels best for us right now. Isn't that the most frustrating thing when you have a really talented, it's probably like the thing that I hate the most as a coach. When you have a really talented player, like really talented player, and they're like sleepwalking through practice and you're like, I want to strangle you right now because if you just applied yourself more, you'd be something amazing. I, oh man. Yeah. That, it's definitely it. frustrating. I, and there are kids too. And this is something that, you know, we struggled with with one of our foreigners was some kids are working hard, but it doesn't look like they're working hard. Um, mm. they, just, they, they go at this, this hard pace and, no matter how much you yell or push them, they really can't push themselves any further. And so that's frustrating as well, because you have those kids that visually show how tired they are and, and how hard yeah. they're and there's and, and some of that is just the other kids are more mentally tough and they're able to not show it. So it's it's you know, it's all those things that you kind of have to figure out about each kid and, and what but, what buttons you can push and, and how far you can push them out, outside of their comfort zone to make them better. Definitely agree. Definitely agree. Um, what advice would you give to a parent that is concerned for their daughter who is now living thousands of miles away? So, you know, what could you, what advice could you give to the parent to deal with the absence of their child? I mean, that's a tough one. I, I, I personally lived overseas, um, you know, for off and on for five years and I was out of college by that point, you know, so I saw how tough it was on my parents and, and my family. And, you know, it is it is tough. Um, I think that you just got to trust that when you pick that school, that they're in a good situation. They're in, you know, they have a coaching staff and support system at their new school that's going to take care of them. Um, obviously, technology is an awesome feature that we have these days where, you know, you can FaceTime and, and Zoom and, and communicate in ways that you never used to be able to. So I do think that helps. But um, in terms of giving advice to a parent, I, I don't know that I could do that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's not easy, but you want to, when you make that decision, do, do your research and, and um, you know, make sure that your kid is going to have a good support system. And then from there, you just got to have a little bit of trust and faith that um, they're going to make it through those bumps. They're going to make it through those tough days. And it's gonna, ultimately going to make them a stronger person. Mm, I like that. Um, second to last question, coach. Um, and this is probably like, for me, the, the most important social question um, is, you know, seeing these these young women come in uh, to your program at 18, you know, 18, 19. Um, you know, they're away from their friends, families, whether they're international or domestic. Um, as we've already alluded to, there's a bunch of distractions. So we're talking about drugs, we're talking about alcohol, we're talking about, you know, um, sexual relations. Um, what's what's uh, what's your advice, you know, to these uh, young women and, and, and young men that are coming in and, and they're having to face these distractions? Yeah, my, my biggest piece of advice is to just keep your priorities in check. Um, you want balance in your life. You want to work hard and, and you want to have fun as well, but keep your priorities in check. Um, and, and, and like I said, so if you if you have those in order, then you know that your extra time needs to go here, here, and here first. Um, and then when it comes to those distractions, um, you know, just be smart about it. Obviously, you want to have a social life. You want to, you know, if, if you grew up in an area where you drank alcohol with your family, you want to do that. You want to have that release. 
um, that's fine, but you, you just have to be smart about it. You have to understand when is the right time. You have to under, understand your surroundings. Um, you know, for, for females, especially, I would, I would say, especially their first year, don't go anywhere alone. You know, always have a, a friend with you, um, a teammate with you. Um, you know, don't take any silly risks where, where you don't know who's in your surroundings. You don't know where you're at. You don't know how you're getting home. Um, you know, silly things like that. You know, we, our specific campus is kind of, um, kind of on the side of a mountain. So we don't have a, a lot of cities like right next to us that can get the kids into too much trouble. But obviously, you know, trouble will find find you anywhere. <laughs> Everywhere, yeah. <laughs> I think the, the one you touched on relationships um, is a tough one this day and age. Um, you know, social media makes it worse. Snapchat makes it worse, you know. I snap that I'm here and then there's this girl and I'm supposed to be dating you now the kid has their feelings hurt. I mean, it's, I always say, I can't imagine being a college athlete this day and age. I think it's it's very difficult with the pressures that they have. Um, so I just think if you, if you keep your priorities straight, you stay focused, sure you want balance in your life, but just be smart about it. You know, be smart about the fun that you're having um, and, and always know who you're with, where you're going, how you're getting home, all those silly details like that. Okay, appreciate it. Sounds like some real good advice. Um, Coach, it's been amazing having you on. And thank you very much for giving up your time to impart your wisdom with us. Um, it's been great having you on and, and, and thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a blast. My name is Maria Marcasano. I'm the head women's basketball coach. We appreciate you watching the Euro step in and just keep working hard. Work hard and stay humble. Appreciate you watching the Euro Stepping. I want to thank everybody for watching Euro Stepping. Watching the Euro Stepping. The Euro Stepping. The Euro Stepping. You've been watching the Euro Stepping. The Euro Stepping. The Euro Stepping. You've been watching the Euro Stepping, a great podcast show hosted by Coach D.